0: Hello, welcome to Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the wrestling highlights from Monday Night Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. I did not mention AEW Dynamite because this week and next week, Dynamite will be coming on Saturday nights, basically tonight, whenever you hear this uh episode of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, meaning that I won't be able to cover both of those sh- both of those shows. Technically, each, both weeks on whenever I drop Wrestling Highlights of the Week that Saturday. Um, I will try to cover some way. I'll sneak it in somewhere on my Sunday episodes. i give you the quick, brief highlights of it. I'm not going to go too in details on the Sunday highlights um, because I talk about news and newsworthy things. But I will mention uh, Dynamite on my Sunday episodes just to give way to people that were wondering, okay, what happened on AEW Dynamite? So that's just to give you guys a little bit of a heads up, um, but without further ado, let's start off with Monday Night Raw. Raw opened up with Drew McIntyre coming to the ring, and he talked up his match with Big E at Crown Jewel, which I still don't understand why we're having this match. I get it. This is just a tune-up for Biggie to get him one big uh, challenge out of the way so he can technically claim himself to be WWE Champion worthy, even though he beat Bobby Lashley in a steel cage. But this is just basically another, this is a match just to give Drew McIntyre something until he goes to SmackDown and we know he's going after Roman Reigns. That's all it is. Drew McIntyre is going to go after Roman Reigns for the Universal title. We all know what's going to go down, but this is just something for Drew to do. But I've been asking the question, what is Big E going to do after Drew? Who do they have for Big E to go against after he gets done with Drew McIntyre? Hopefully we'll get that answer soon, but right now that doesn't happen. Anyway. Drew uh, talks about his match for Big E coming up at Crown Jewel, and then Big E comes out to confront Drew. Big E tells Drew he understands why he wants to be WWE champion again so much, and Big E then soaks up uh, the adulation that he gets from the fans, and then the commentary breaks down Big E's weekend that he had. He was at his former alma mater's uh, college football game, the Iowa Blackhawks, and then he was at the Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury boxing match. And he even did like a video package for both Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder that they showed on the boxing event. So Biggie was pretty busy and he's soaking in the juices of his hard work. He's soaking in all that praise and everything else from that hard work of getting to the point to be WWE champion. And now that he is champion, he gets to enjoy uh, the fruits of his labor. There it is. Drew talks about chasing his moment. Uh, because he never got to be <clears throat> WWE champion in front of a crowd. He was always a WWE champion throughout the whole Thunderdome era. And if you don't know what the Thunderdome era was, it was from when WWE had to uh, participate in professional wrestling inside. When they first started in the Performance Center. And then they were able to get a contract with certain... Uh, it was a football stadium... Not football, with a baseball stadium first. And then another baseball stadium that they had to turn over to another one. So two baseball stadiums that they transform into the Thunderdome, which is basically a arena that had them tele- that had uh screens of fans that could watch the show and then they'll show the fans on the screens uh like they were actually at the event. And they actually had to have the whole big production. You got to hear the fans cheering and booing. But you get the drift. If you want to look back at it, you go to the Peacock uh on go to the Peacock app and then you'll see Thunderdome. Just look at any episode of Raw during 2020, at least start off in April, and then follow it all the way through 2020, and you'll see, even, matter of fact, April all the way to July of this year, you'll see exactly what Thunderdome was, and you'll understand exactly what it was. Drew was the champion throughout that whole Thunderdome era, and he talks about getting that moment of being champion in front of a live studio, live audience. Then out comes the Usos out of nowhere, and they start talking amongst themselves of who's going to win a crown jewel. Drew then asks them, what are they doing here? The Uso says they're sending a warning shot to whoever Roman has to face in Survivor Series. He talks about Drew being the guy that Roman already faced last week, and Roman will have to just put him down again whenever they, if he happens to win. And he talks about, and then they transfer their attention over to Big E, and tell Big E that if he wins, hey, Roman will put him down, that they're going to put the New Day down whenever they step foot on SmackDown. As the Usos are about to leave, Biggie and Drew call them back into the ring and tell them, "I don't know what you guys are here for, but we're about to give you guys something." Uh, the Usos then challenge both of them to a match tonight. Biggie and Drew both accept, but then as soon as they accept, they start bickering with one another because again, Crown Jewel implications. The Usos then take advantage of this and attacks them both, and then super kicks them both, and then they leave the ring. So now we have our match for the main event of Raw. Uh, the Usos going against Biggie and Drew McIntyre. After this, we get a backstage interview with the New Day, both Kofi and Xavier Woods. The interviewer asks them both, since both men are inside the King of the Ring tournament and they're both on the exact same side, what will happen if they have to face each other next week in the semifinals? Xavier and Kofi start looking at each other and then they start laughing. And then the New Day's music hits and then they leave the area. Now it's time for the King of the Ring quarterfinals with Xavier Woods going against Ricochet and to me, personally, this was match of the night. Xavier Woods and Ricochet did what they were supposed to do. The first match of the night, everybody can't wait for Xavier to win and become king of the ring. Xavier did win the match, and he does advance to the tournament. This happens when Ricochet hits a dive through the ropes, and he hits Woods with it. And then Ricochet tries to do it again, but, Rico- but Xavier Woods was able to throw Ricochet into the barricade. And then Xavier throws Ricochet back into the ring, and then he goes to the top rope walk the ropes a little bit, and then he jumps off his elbow onto Ricochet, covers him for the win. Again, this was a great match. I suggest you do look at Monday Night Raw. If you're going to do that, I would just look at this match, and trust me, it was the match of the night. After this, we get a backstage statement with Riddle and Randy Orton. Riddle walks up to Randy and tells him, guess who got a match with Omos later on tonight? And Randy asks Riddle, what did you do? Riddle says that he acts for a match with Omos because Randy's plan works so well that they gonna that Riddle wants to try to follow in the footsteps of Randy Orton and dupe AJ and Omos. Randy tells him, last week wasn't no plan. Last week was just a one-time thing. And Riddle then tries to downplay, like, oh, okay, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to play my games. Randy says, no, I'm serious. Last week was a one-time thing. You got yourself into this, bro. You got to get yourself out of this. Riddle then tries to still downplay it, but then he looks at Randy and says he'll see him out there later tonight. After this, we get a tag team match of Ali and Mansoor going against the Hurt Business' own Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. This was a throwaway match, in my opinion. The Hurt Business does win the match by pinfall. This happened when Cedric Alexander hits the Mishinoku driver on Ali for the win. And then after the match, Mansoor lifts up Ali, and then Ali pushes Mansoor to the mat. And Ali then screams... I'm sorry that he's tired of losing and walks away. After this, we get a Queen Crown quarterfinals, and it's between Shayna Baszler and Dana Brooke. Shayna Baszler does beat Dana by uh, knee to the face and pinzer to win, and so Shayna Baszler does advance to the semifinals of the Queen Crowns tournament. I'd rather just call it the Queen of the Ring, it would be much more better, but again, WWE here. Then we go to a backstage promo from Charlotte Flair. She mentions how she doesn't care about Bianca, Sasha, or Becky. And she mentions that she hopes Sasha wins at Crown Jewel. So whenever she faces her at Survivor Series, Charlotte is looking to hopefully merge both the Raw and SmackDown Women's Championships together so they could be one champion and Charlotte could be double champion and still rule over WWE's Women's Division. And the reason why she says she doesn't care about Bianca, Sasha, or Becky is because tonight, Charlotte Flair has to team up with Sasha Banks to go against Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch. Just want to give you some clarification on that. After this, we get to a match of Riddle versus Olmos with AJ Styles in his corner. But before the match begins, Riddle asks for the mic, and he's trying to distract Olmos and hoping that Randy Orr will come out and do something, but that doesn't happen. AJ gets the mic and says that Riddle is stalling and he wants the match to start. As soon as the match starts and the referee rings the bell, Riddle goes outside the ring and starts attacking AJ Styles. And that all comes to an end when Omos grabs Riddle by the head and pulls him from the outside of the ring to the inside of the ring. And Omos beats up Riddle. He hits him with a choke slam and Omos is about to pin Riddle, but AJ tells Omos that legally this is a match and legally we can beat up Riddle as long as we want. So he tells Omas to lift Riddle up and hit him with a roundhouse kick. He does this, and then AJ tells Omas to give Riddle the CB. And nobody understands what CB is, which means code for a double-handed uh, choke slam. And he does that to Riddle, and then he puts his foot on Riddle's chest for the win. After the match, however, AJ gets in the ring, and he wants to beat up on Riddle some more and hit him with the Styles Clash, but Randy Orton's music hits. And AJ Styles and Old are now looking for Randy to pop up anywhere out the way. AJ tells Old to go outside of the ring and stand on the outside just in case Randy tries to pop through the crowd, which from time to time wrestlers do do that. So Old goes outside of the ring, he stands out there and he's trying to look for Randy Orton. And AJ's still inside the ring looking at the entrance ramp and then you hear the fans get real excited and you see AJ feel that the ground has shook, and he understands exactly what happened, and then he turns around. Randy's right there, and he quickly hits him with an RKO, and then he rolls out of the ring, and Omos quickly gets into the ring trying to grab Randy, but that doesn't happen. Little behind the scenes here, Randy was able to get into the ring because he was underneath the ring all that time. He didn't have to go through the uh, crowd. He was already underneath the ring. The reason how I know this is because a fan sent... Uh, not sent, but recorded it, that were at the show, and you see Randy pop from underneath the ring and then get into the ring in RKO AJ Styles. After this, we get a backstage uh, segment from Drew McIntyre. He's looking for Big E, and he finds him. And Drew asks Big E what was that crap all about at the beginning of the show, and Big E tells him that at Crown Jewel, they're going to beat up each other. That's without a doubt. But tonight, let's put all the beef to the side, and let's handle the Usos. Drew McIntyre agrees with it, and then they do the Mega Powers handshake with the whole power struggle deal. If you don't know, go to YouTube and you'll see Mega Powers handshake. As this, we get a Bobby Lashley in-ring promo. The main point of this is that Goldberg can't kill the almighty Bobby Lashley, and Lashley looks to hurt Goldberg at Crown Jewel in their no-holds-barred match. Then we get a backstage promo from Sasha Banks. She mentions that teaming up with Bianca Belair and she wants Bianca to sit back and watch as she does what she does because she is the boss. And she mentions that she will beat both Becky and Bianca at Crown Jewel to win back the SmackDown Women's Championship. Now we go to the in-ring competition. It's Jeff Hardy going against Austin Theory. Austin Theory wins this match by pinfall. This happens when Jeff Hardy hits a swanton. No, no, hits a twist of fate on Austin Theory. Then goes to Tyro and tries to jump in. Hit Austin with the Swanton Bomb. But he misses and Austin Theory ends up rolling up Jeff Hardy for the win. And he holds his uh, pants for the win. So he kind of cheated to win this match as well. Bianca Belair is now for a backstage promo. And she talks about the difference between her and Charlotte. Bianca says that whenever she wins, she has strength, character, and heart. But when Charlotte does it, she does it by cheating and being cruel. She then goes down the line and talks about beating Sasha at WrestleMania and wanted to make Becky no-belts Becky. And she talks about winning back the SmackDown Women's Championship at Crown Jewel. Personally, I wait can't wait to see this match, because let me just inform you of something. All these women have talked a lot, and Becky and Bianca are on Raw, and Sasha has stayed on SmackDown. The logical idea is to have Sasha keep the championship to keep it on SmackDown. But with Raw technically not having a champion because Charlotte Diggy drafted over to SmackDown. She's not defending the championship at uh, Crown Jewel, and she is the Raw Women's Champion. How would that work? Will we get a match between Sasha and Charlotte for the both championships and the winner has to defend both belts on both brands? I'm curious about this, but we'll have to see whenever that happens. Now we go back to Gorilla position, and the New Day are there again. And they get asked the exact same question that they didn't answer before. What will happen if, so happened, they both go have to go against each other uh, next week in the semifinals of the tournament. Kofi then starts the chant of the Who Who chant. And then their music plays and now it's time for Kofi Kingston's match. And Kofi Kingston's uh, match is going against Jinder Mahal with Indy Shear in his corner. But Kofi Kingston will have Xavier Woods in his corner for their King of the Ring qualifiers match. Gender does win the match by pinfall and advances to the tournament. He does this whenever he catches Kofi in midair and hits him with the Colossus and pins him. So now, in the semifinals of the Raw side of the tournament, it will be Gender Mahal going against Xavier Woods next week on Monday Night Raw. Now we get a backstage promo from Becky Lynch. She mentioned how she has nothing to say because all her competitors have talked the talk. She then talks about beating all the women in this match. She talks about beating Charlotte at WrestleMania. She talks about she's beaten Sasha Banks so many times. And she talks about beating Bianca Belair in 26 seconds at SummerSlam. She mentions that at Crown Jewel, she's going to keep her SmackDown Women's Championship. And now it's time for the tag team uh, match right now of Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair going against Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. At first, this match wasn't going to happen because all four women were in the ring and Bianca and Sasha start uh, bickering to see who would start for their team. And then they start throwing hands with each other. And then Becky joined in and attacked both Bianca and Charlotte. Not Charlotte, but Sasha. And Charlotte didn't want to get involved. But then Bianca and uh, Sasha were brawling and then they brushed up against Charlotte. So Charlotte then joined the fray and now you got a brawl between all four women. This leads to Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville coming out and telling them that this match won't end like this. They're going to restart the match, and which they do. And this time, when the actual match happens, the tag team match was fine for what it was. You know that all four women can't stand each other, but they do the best that they can. But again, it all comes to blows. And this time, the match ends in a double disqualification. And this happens when uh, Bianca Belair attacks Sasha Banks. And earlier in the uh, match, Charlotte and Becky would have a disagreement because Charlotte would tap Becky on the head like a doggy and uh, tag herself in that way. After the match, however, Becky tries to look for tries to lock in the disarmor on Bianca Belair, but Bianca is too strong and lifts up Becky to transition it over into the K.O.D. But before she could hit Becky with the K.O.D., Sasha hits uh, Bianca Belair with the backstabber, which allows Becky to get off of Bianca's shoulders. And now you got Becky and Sasha going at it. And Becky gets the best of it whenever she hits the man slam, a.k.a. the rock bottom, on Sasha Banks and leaves her laying in the ring. And another thing behind the curtain, Becky Lynch did get permission from The Rock to use the rock bottom. She confirmed that in an interview, how she called up The Rock and asked her, can she use the move? And The Rock said, yeah, sure. We go to a backstage promo with the Usos, and Jimmy is on the phone with Roman Reigns. And then he gets off, and Jay asks him, Okay, what'd he say? He tells him that Roman tells him to complete the mission, and then they said they will complete it tonight. Now it's time for another Queen Crown quarterfinal match between Dewdrop and Natalya. Dewdrop advances to face Shayna Baszler in the semifinals of the tournament. Dewdrop wins the match. This happens when Natalia was looking to lock in the sharpshooter, but Dewdrop happens to slap Natalia across the face, which allows Natalia to let go of the legs of Dewdrop. Dewdrop quickly rolls up Natalia for the win. Again, this was another throwaway match. I consider this whole tournament a basic throwaway, if I'm going to be honest with you, because Charlotte Flair is not in this. Charlotte should have been in this tournament, and let me just tell you how this should have went. Charlotte should have went in it and went to the finals. And then you have a young, upcoming superstar that you want to highlight in the best light that you can aka probably a Tony Storm or Liv Morgan two of the women that you eliminated or if you want to do it, a Selena Vega that's still in the tournament that you could prop up to be one of the women that you actually want to shine a spotlight on have them go against Charlotte in the finals and beat Charlotte as the underdog because Charlotte Flair is the queen of WWE. She has that nickname. She has that moniker. It would have done wonders for whoever beat Charlotte. But since they didn't do this, I consider this whole tournament a complete throwaway. And I'm going to do the same thing with the King of the Ring if Xavier Woods doesn't win. I just want to keep that in mind. If Xavier Woods doesn't win after he's been petitioning and saying that he was the King of the Ring back, and he's been talking about wanting to be the King of the Ring, if he doesn't win this tournament, I'm going to consider this whole thing a massive flop. That's just me, and I guarantee a whole lot of people on the internet as well, because we're going to be in a complete uproar in WWE. I want to see what you're going to do, personally. Anyway, we go backstage now to Mansoor getting interviewed, and he gets asked, what was that all about with Ali? Mansoor, that he's going to check in on Ali whenever Ali cools down, and Ali then pops in and tells Mansoor that he doesn't listen. Ali is Mansoor's only lifeline in this business, and Ali tells Mansoor that he's worthless. And once he says this, you can clearly see Mansour getting angry, but Mansour clearly does nothing about this, and Ali just hits a smirk on his face and walks away. The interviewer tells Mansour that that must have hurt to hear, and Mansour says that he's going to let Ali cool down, and then they will talk again, and then Ali quickly attacks Mansour from behind and throws him into production crates and stomps on Mansour and leaves him laying in the, uh, laying on the floor. This is basically going to lead up to a Crown Jewel match at Crown Jewel with Mansoor and Mustafa Ali. That's exactly what it's going to lead to. And uh, if they don't declare it before the end of this week, they're going to declare it on Monday Night Raw. And that's more than likely what you're going to see at Crown Jewel. Now it's time for the main event of Raw. Big E and Drew McIntyre going against the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, the Usos. The Usos win this match by ring out. This happens when Drew was setting up for the Claymore Kick on Jay. And Biggie had, happens to tag himself in. This is payback for last week whenever Biggie was about to hit the big ending on Dolph, but Drew tags himself in. Biggie tells Drew McIntyre to get out of the ring, and Drew just hesitates to leave the ring, but the referee has to tell Drew to get out, and Drew does that. And then once Biggie turns around, Jay super kicks Biggie in the face twice and pins him, but Biggie kicks out. But when this happens, you see Drew McIntyre just standing on the corner, just watching all this happen. And Jay constantly looks at Drew as he goes up to the top turnbuckle. And he looks to hit Biggie with the Uso splash, but Biggie moves out of the way and Jay lands on his feet. Biggie then captures Jay and about to hit him with the big ending, but Jay shoves Biggie into Drew. And then, long story short, Drew pulls Biggie out of the ring and they start bickering. And they ultimately begin to fight, which leads to the referee uh, counting them out. And that gives the Usos the win. After the match, Drew and Big E continue to fight outside of the ring, but the Usos sees this and they leap over the top rope and onto Drew McIntyre and Big E. The Usos then threw Big E over the commentary table and they throw Drew into the steel steps. The Usos then try to continue beating up on E and Drew, but they get caught in respective belly-to-belly suplexes by Big E and Drew McIntyre on the outside of the ring. Big E then gets in the ring and he waves for Drew McIntyre to get back into the ring so they can fight each other man-to-man one-on-one. Once this happened, Drew gets in and they fight, but in the end, Drew does hit Big E with the Claymore kick, and he lifts up the WWE Championship to send a message to Big E that at Crown Jewel, he's going to leave with the WWE Championship, and that's how Monday Night Raw ends. Now it's time for NXT. NXT starts off, and they show a video of earlier in the day, Hit Row without Ashanti Diodonis. were walking into the building, but behind him was a car being pulled up by Legado Del Fantasma, They attacked all members of Hit Row, but they happened to kidnap Top Dollar and B-Fab, making Isaiah Swerve Scott to go against Santos Escobar in the main event alone by himself. The first match of the night was Tommaso Ciampa going against Joe Gacy, and the stipulation was if Joe Gacy wins, he gets added to the NXT title match at Halloween Havoc, turning it into a triple threat match. But have no fear, Tommaso does win the match by pinfall, and this happens when Joe Gacy misses a moonsault, and Tommaso looks to hit the white noise on Joe Gacy, but Gacy rolls up Tomasa for a two count. And then Tommaso was able to hit the fairy tale ending and cover Gacy for the win. After the match, Ciampa is on the outside of the ring, and this guy named Harland comes up and grabs Tomasa by the throat. And Harland is the exact same guy that looked at Joe Gacy in the crowd last week. Uh, he grabs Tomasa by the throat, and then Joe Gacy comes outside of the ring and tells Harland to let go of Ciampa. Harlan quickly grabs Gacy by his shirt and he lets go of Ciampa and Gacy tries to wave his hands to cool down Harlan, and he eventually puts his hand onto Harlan's face and like strokes it in a way gentle manner. Harlan lets goes of J- Joe Gacy and then runs away. And then Joe Gacy goes over to Ciampa, assists uh, Champa standing up, and then Ciampa quickly pushes Joe Gacy off. Because Ciampa doesn't trust a lot of people, and this is definitely not going to uh, help this. After this, we see Toxic Attraction come out for their in-ring promo. Their main point of this promo is that declaring that at Halloween Havoc, all of them as a collective will walk out holding all of the NXT Women's Championship gold with J.C. Jane and Gigi Dolan winning the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships and Mandy Rose winning the NXT Women's Championship away from Raquel Gonzalez at Halloween Havoc. After this, we get a match between Zion Quinn and Malik Blade. Zion Quinn wins the match by pinfall. This happens when Zion hits Malik with a running forearm to the face. This was just a match just to give Zion Quinn something to do and to get people familiar with Zion Quinn. After this, we get a backstage interview with Tommaso Ciampa. He gets asked earlier what happened with Gacy earlier, and Tommaso mentioned that he doesn't care what happened earlier. All he's focused about right now is facing Braun Breaker at Halloween Havoc for the NXT Championship. His interview is then interrupted by the Grizzly Young veterans. They mention that they can't wait for Ciampa to lose the championship to a rookie. That's when Breaker walks in and asks GYV, do they have a problem? They say that they are not uh, dressed for competition and that Breaker should be talking like this to veterans, and then they walk away. Breaker then turns his attention over to Ciampa, and he tells him that he's protecting Ciampa all the way until Halloween Havoc. So when he beats Champa, he's going to beat Champa at a 100%. After this, we get a match, an in-ring debut of Ivy now with Diamond Mine in her corner going against a scrub called Valentina Flores. I'm sorry to call you a scrub, but in this match, you were a scrub, let's be honest. Ivy does win the match by uh, submission, and this happens when Ivy puts Valentina in the torture rack and Valentina does tap out. Uh, Let me just say something real quick. Ivy Niles' physique is perfect. She's a short-statured chick, not too small, but she's the right height, and she's built up nicely. She has a lot of presence when she walks through. Let me put it like that. She could easily win championship gold in wrestling. The only thing she has to do is add some quick maneuvers to her uh, resume or her repertoire, meaning a quick snap suplex or a quick powerbomb or... Something quick to make it devastating and look quick because she can move quick and she has the power for it. I would just suggest somebody in the training staff to teach Ivy these couple things. And I guarantee you, Ivy is truly a diamond in the rough. After the match, however, Malcolm Bivins gets on the microphone and he talks up every member of Diamond Mind. He talks about the Creed brothers being the best tag team in NXT. Talk about Ivy now being a beast that's now off the leash and uh, talk about uh, their coach being the best coach out there in the world, and then they talk about Roderick Strong being the best Cruiserweight Champion ever in NXT. He then hands over the mic to Roderick Strong, and before Roderick can even say anything, they're interrupted by Ikemin Yarrow. Ikamin then comes out and he makes a gestures to around his waist towards Championship Gold, and he posts at Roderick Strong in the Cruiserweight Championship. Julius Creed grabs the microphone from Roderick, and he tells the rest of Diamond Mine that he got this. Julian tells Ikeman that championship opportunities aren't demanded around here, they're earned. And Julius asks Ikeman what is he going to do about it, and Ikeman just decides to slap Julius directly across the face. And this sets up a match between the two right away, so you get Julius Creed with Diamond Mind in his corner going against Ikeman Yarrow just by himself. Julius does win the match by a pinfall. This happened when Julius was able to catch Yarrow in air uh, from a springboard. And he catches him, and he hits an Oklahoma slam, and he floats over to his feet, and he hits a low clothesline onto Ikemen, and then he covers him for the pin. Again, that short clothesline, that low short clothesline is real nasty when you hear when he just hits it across somebody's chest. It's real uh, devastating. Anyway, after the match, Diamond Mind gets in the ring and they attack Ikamin Yaro until Kushida comes in and makes the save, or at least tries to. Kushida was able to handle them for off for a quick minute until the numbers game got too much for him, and then Strong was able to hit Kushida with the end of heartache, which is basically a suplex transition over into a backbreaker, double knee backbreaker, and Diamond Mind leaves both Yaro and Kushida in the ring laid out. After this, we get a backstage uh, segment from Raquel Gonzalez, the main point of this uh, backstage uh, segment is that Raquel accepts Mandy Rose's challenge for a match at Halloween. Havoc have it for the NXT Women's Championship, but it has to be a spin-the-wheel, make-the-deal match. And If you don't know what that means, they have a wheel there that they spin it, and it has different stipulations of matches on it. And whatever match it is, that's the match that they're going to have. After this, we get a tag team match of Kyle O'Reilly and Vaughn Wagner going against Pete Dunne and Ridge Holland. Kyle O'Reilly and Wagner wins this match by pinfall. This time when Kyle takes out Pete Dunn on the outside of the ring with a knee, um, with a jumping knee off the ring apron onto Pete Dunn's face. And then Von Wagner hits a double underhook tilt-a-wall slam on Rich Holland and pins him for the win. Uh, this match was really good. Um, they're really trying to set up Von Wagner to be like a main eventer for NXT in the near future. You can see what they're doing because they teamed him up with a main eventer of Kyle Riley himself, respectively, and you can tell that they want to give the rub to Von Wagner as a credible competitor in NXT. After this, a video of Andre Chase uh, plays at his Chase University. He shows his video. He shows his students a video of Odyssey Jones and how Odyssey had his play, foot placed under the ropes instead of on top of the ropes uh, last week, and that's the reason why he didn't win his match against L.A. Knight. One of his students having to raise their hand and asks Andre, "Didn't he push Odyssey's foot off of the ropes? And shouldn't that be a disqualification?" Andre walks up to him and says, "Yeah, that should be," but he doesn't care, and he tells the student to leave the ring. Well, leave the area. This is basically trying to get Andre Chase's whole thing as being a genius in professional wrestling. And I know the guy from Independence, and he's a good professional wrestler, but I just want to see that they need to bring his brother along, and I would love for the uh, Harlem Bravado brothers to be in NXT. That's who he needs, but I don't know what the condition of his brother is, so I'm not sure what happened. what's going to happen in the future. Anyway, now it's time for another match. It's between Duke Hudson and Grayson Waller. Duke Hudson wins this match by pinfall. This happens when Grayson was about to hit a springboard off the second rope, but Duke kicks the middle rope and Grayson falls off the second rope and lands on his head, and Duke happens to cover him and grabs the tights and wins the match by pinfall. I thought that wasn't going to be the end, but once it happened, I was like, okay, it makes sense to me that he hit his head hard on the mat and he got the win off of that. But just how wrestling goes, you wouldn't think that. Easy of a maneuver would end the match so quickly, but it did. After this, we get a video from Imperium playing. The main point of their whole video is that they're upset that a team like MSK are the NXT Tag Team Champions. They claim that MSK is what's wrong with this generation of wrestlers. They don't have honor, pride, and elegance when it comes down to in-ring work. Imperium says that they are here to save NXT and win the titles because the mat is sacred to them. After this, we get a tag team match between Indy Hartwell and her friend Persia going against the team of Saray and Amiri Miller. Indy Hartwell and Persia win the match by pinfall. This happens when Persia has Amiri Miller across her shoulders and uses her as a weapon to attack Saray, which has Saray rolling out of the ring. Persia then hits a forward slam onto uh, Amiri Miller and then tags in Indy Harwell, which leads her to hit a springboard elbow drop onto the back of a Mary cover her for the win. After the match, Persia gets the mic and then she challenges uh, the NXT Tag Team Champions Zoe Starks and Io Shirai. Then out comes Io Shirai and Zoe Starks. Io gets on the mic and says that she doesn't like Persia, she doesn't like Indy, and then she looks at Zoe and she says, I. And that's when Zoe stops her and says, Yeah, yeah, I know, you don't like me. Eo says, No, you don't speak for me. Zoe then asks, Okay, so you like me then? Eo says, No. Then you get JC Jane and Gigi Dolan coming out, and JC says right on the mic that she doesn't care who likes who, and that they only care about one thing the NXT Women Tag Team Championships. And you know what's going to happen next. You get a big old brawl between all six women, and the last remaining women standing were Eo Sarai and Zoe Starks. Now you get a backstage promo of Grayson Waller walking backstage, and then he sees a woman in a blue dress, and he sits right beside her. He compliments her dress and tells her that he is going to take a shower and he will meet her for dinner tonight, and she agrees and she leaves. Cameron Grimes walks up to Grayson Waller and asks him, how did he do that? Grayson tells him that that wasn't even his best game that he just spit to her. Cameron mentions how he can't seem to fight anybody for himself. Grayson tells Grimes that yeah, you got the money, you got everything that it takes to get a woman, but you probably need to shave your chest hair, and you need to shape up your beard and your hair, and you'll be able to get somebody. And then Grayson then puts Cameron Grimes onto dating apps. He asks him, did you know what dating apps are? And Grimes said, nah. Grayson pulls out his phone, and he starts swiping. He asks him, do you like redheads? Do you like blondes? Do you like brunettes? And then you see a big old excited face on Cameron Grimes' face, so it looks like Cameron Grimes probably going to be on DDMs next, and you're probably going to see a woman by the arms of Cameron Grimes within the next couple of weeks. After this, a video of a newcomer coming into NXT, and his name is Solo Sikayo, and that guy is the Usos' brother, and yes, the Usos, Jimmy and Jay, have a brother. He was known as, uh, I believe, Sifa Junior on the Indies, and he was nickname was the Problem. And now he got signed to NXT in their last batch of uh, current signings. So he's going to be making his NXT debut soon. So look out for uh, Solo Sikoyo. I believe that's how he should say the last name. If not, I'm sorry for butchering it. Now it's time for the main event of NXT. It is for the NXT North American Championship. Isaiah Swerve Scott going against Santos Escobar. Isaiah, shockingly, does win the match by pinfall. This happens when Swerve was going for the 450 Splash. But Santos gets his knees up and rolls up uh, Scott for the pinfall. But Scott does kick out. And this makes Raul and Mendoza and uh, Joaquin Wilde come down to the ring and get on the apron and arguing with the referee. Then out comes Trick, Williams, and Carmelo Hayes out of nowhere. They attack uh, both Raul and Joaquin Wilde and they get him off the apron and attack him on the outside of the ring. Escobar then picks up Swerve and tries to hit him with the Phantom Driver. But Swerve gets out of the move And he goes to the turnbuckle that earlier in the match, Santos Escobar exposed. So now you got the steel right there. And Santos runs forward towards Scott. And without Santos knowing, and he forgets about it, Scott moves out of the way. And Santos hits the steel turnbuckle. And Scott sees this. He grabs up Santos. And he was able to hit the JML driver on Santos. And he wins and retains the North America Championship. After the match, you get Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams both get into the ring, and they celebrate with Scott. They lift up his, uh, Carmelo lifts up the wrist of Scott, and he just seems so happy for Scott to retain the NXT North American Championship. And then he looks at Trick Williams, and Trick gives Carmelo a look, and then Carmelo clotheslines Scott. Carmelo then asks for his contract from Trick, and Trick gives it to him, and now you see Carmelo signing his name onto the contract and hands it over to a ref. This contract, if you don't remember, this contract allows Carmelo Hayes to go after any NXT championship that he wants at any time. It's basically his money in the bank cash-in. That's the equivalent to it. The referee then tells the ring announcer to announce that Carmelo has turned in his contract, and he's chosen to wrestle for the North American Championship. So, now you get a match between Carmelo Hayes and Scott uh, Isaiah swore Scott for the North America Championship. Carmelo hits a springboard clothesline onto Scott and then covers him, and he thinks he wins this, but Scott kicks out by two. Carmelo then picks up Scott, and uh, Scott was able to hit Carmelo in the face with a right hand, and this kind of shocks Carmelo for a minute, but then Carmelo then super kicks Isaiah directly in the face, and then he goes up to the top turnbuckle, and then he hits a jumping leg drop to the back of Isaiah Swerve Scott's head. Carmelo then pins him, and now we have a new North American champion. And NXT ends with Carmelo Hayes holding the North American Championship and Trick Williams just being Carmelo uh, hype man. I am I have a problem with this. I would have had Carmelo hold on to that contract in another two weeks. Because in another two weeks, we have an NXT Halloween Havoc show. And in the main event, you have Tommaso Ciampa going against Braun Breaker for the NXT Championship. Why on God's green would you cash in a championship on a second-rate, no disrespect to the North American title, but a second-rate championship when you can get the main platter literally on a silver platter at your footsteps, Because you know Tommaso Ciampa and Braun Breaker are going to beat the brakes off of each other, but you don't have enough patience to wait until that Match ends and then you run out there and then you cash it in. You get and beat up on a either exhausted Braun Breaker or an exhausted Tomás champion. And you can easily be the North American, not North American, but the NXT champion. But hey, WWE has their ways. I would have did that. And people would ask, okay, what do we do about Isaiah Swerve Scott? He would have been a North American champion. He would have took it over to SmackDown. Okay, let him take it over to SmackDown for a minute. That's fine. Let him take it over there. Let that championship get some shine on the main roster, and then have somebody from NXT probably invade because you're about to do Survivor Series anyway, and beat Isaiah Sir Scott for the North American Championship and bring the North American Championship back to NXT. That would have been my remedy for it, but again, I'm armchair quarterbacking this. I'm Monday armchair quarterbacking this, and this is happening all after the fact, but if I was in that production meeting, that's exactly what I would have pitched for them, but again, I, Isaiah Scott did lose the North American Championship to Carmelo Hayes. Congratulations to you, man. I just would have wished they would have waited and had you cash in and be the actual NXT champion instead of the North American Champion. But again, that's just uh, my thoughts on that. And that's how NXT ends with Carmelo Hayes holding the North American Championship. Now it's time for Impact Wrestling. I want to get with uh, their I pay-per-view that they have, which is basically their app pay-per-view for Impact Plus, and it was called Knockouts Knockdown that happened last Saturday, and I didn't get to cover it because, well, obviously the episodes of Wrestling Highlights of the uh, week happening on a Saturday morning, so it happened that Saturday night. But anyway, uh, the results are as follows. They had a tournament, an eight-woman knockouts tournament, and the winner of that tournament will receive a future Impact Wrestling Knockouts Championship, and the participants were as followed. Rachel Ellering, Lady Frost, Chelsea Green, Renee Michelle, Mercedes Martinez, Brandy Lauren, Tasha Steeles, and Jamie Siegel in the finals of the tournament was Mercedes Martinez and Tasha Steeles, and Mercedes Martinez beat Tasha Steele, so she will be receiving a future Impact Wrestling uh, Knockouts Championship match. Deanna Peraza with Matthew Raywell in her corner went against Mickey James hand-picked opponent for her and her name was Marsha Slamovich. It's a new uh person that came into Impact Wrestling, but Diana Perrazzo did beat her by submission. And in the process of this after the match, Gail Kim came down to the ring and offered Marsha or Masha, yeah, a f- Impact Wrestling contract and it was found out later throughout this week that Marsha did sign so now she's part of Impact Wrestling's uh Knockouts Division. Also, um, in the main event of this pay-per-view, you had Decay with the champions Havoc and Rosemary defending their Knockouts Tag Team Championships against the Influence, which consists of Madison Ray and Antonio Dashwood. And Decay beat the Influence by pinfall, and they retained their Knockouts Tag Team titles. And at the end of the pay-per-view, we got a video of the Inspiration, formerly known as the Iconics, Billy Kay and... Uh, got Peyton Royce, and they now go by the names under, I believe they go by under their real names, which are Jesse McKay and Casey Lee. So they are now in Impact Wrestling, and they will be getting a Tag Team Impact Wrestling uh, Knockouts Championship opportunity at Bound for Glory, and that's how they ended off uh, Knockouts Knockdown. Now on to Impact Wrestling's uh, show that they had on Thursday night. The first match of the night was a triple threat match with the winner advances in the X Division Championship Tournament. And it was El Fantasmo with Chris Bay and Hikaleo in his corner going against Rohit Raju and Willie Mack in a triple threat match. El Fantasmo wins the match by pinfall. This happens when Fantasmo hits Rohit right in the Family Jewels, then nails him with a variation of the Styles Clash. But when he does this, he puts Rohit's arms behind Rohit's back and then hits him with a slam. And he pins him. so at Bound for Glory for the X Division Championship, it will be Trey Miguel going against Steve Macklin, going against El Fantasma in a triple threat match for the X Division Championship. After this, we get a backstage interview with Ace Austin and Madman Fulton. The main point of this interview is for Ace Austin talking about how he's going to win the Battle Royal tonight so that he can enter as the number 20 entrance in the Call Your Shot gauntlet at Bound for Glory. And Ace Austin mentioned that it is inevitable that Ace Austin will win the Impact Wrestling World Championship. After this, we get a match with Savannah Evans going against Lady Frost with to, uh, Tasha Steele's in Savannah Evans corner. And I forgot to mention, at Knockouts Knockdown, um, they had a fatal four-way bound, uh, not bound. They had a fatal four-way monster ball match. And it had Savannah Evans going against Alicia, going against Jordan Grace, going against Kimberly and a monster balls match is basically a no holds barred anything goes and Savannah Steel's did win the match when she pinned Kimberly after she had a, uh, a full Nelson slam on a bed of thumbtacks so just want to give a little crew information about something that I missed that's my fault on that anyway Savannah Evans did go against Lady Frost and Savannah Evans beat Lady Frost in a pinfall. By pinfall, this happens when Savannah Evans nails Lady Frost with a full Nelson Slam and he covers it for the pin. This match was basically dominated by Savannah Evans. Lady Frost was able to get a couple hits in, but Savannah Evans dominated this match. After the match, Diana Perrazzo and Matthew Ray Walt comes down to the ring and they talk to Savannah. The main point of this is that Diana Perazzo is picking Savannah Evans as her opponent for Mickie James next week on the final episode of Impact Wrestling before Bound for Glory. Savannah Evans does this, so it is official. Next week, Mickey James will go against Savannah Evans. After this, we get a backstage promo from Steve Macklin. The main point of this is that he's talking about wanting to win the Division Championship at Bound for Glory. After this, we get a backstage interview with Gail Kim. She talks about uh, all the things that happened at knockouts, uh, Knockdown. She mentions Mercedes Martinez winning the uh, knockouts tournament that night, offering Marsha a contract. And also the announcement of the inspiration coming to Impact Wrestling to Challenge for the Knockouts Tag Team Championships. And as soon as she mentions this, you get Rosemary and Havoc coming to interrupt the interview. They ask Gail, do you think that it was a right idea to give the inspiration a shot at our titles when they never stepped foot in this company and have done nothing to earn a championship opportunity? Then all of a sudden, a guy walks in, he looks like a male office guy, and he asks for Gail Kim. Gail Kim says, I'm right here. And he hands her an envelope, a brown envelope. Gail opens up the envelope and looks at the letter. Gail then hands the letter to the interviewer. And the main point of this letter is that the inspiration can't wait to be in Impact Wrestling and to challenge for the Knockouts Tag Team Championships. So this letter did come from the inspiration. And they said it came from all the way from Australia. Trying to kind of give everybody a wink wink because they're from Australia. After this, we get a match between Rich Swan and VSK. Rich Swann wins the match by pinfall. This happened when Rich Swann was able to hit the Phoenix Splash for the second turnbuckle and covers VSK for the win. After this, we get a meeting between Heath and Scott D'Amour in uh, his office. And the whole point of this is for Heath to sign his Impact Wrestling contract that he earned last year, but he didn't get to sign it because he was out with an injury. Heath asks Scott a one favor before he signs the contract, and the favor that he asks of Scott is that at Bound for Glory, he wants to have a match with Rhino, but Rhino be his tag partner to go against Violence by Design. Scott asks, Heath, "Has you ever talked to Rhino? Have you been in contact with Rhino since uh, he left Violence by Design? He says no, but that, but this is his only way that he can get to his uh, friend, get to his tag partner. Scott ends up making the match, and Heath ends up signing the contract, so at Bound for Glory, we would get Heath and Rhino going against Violence by design, the only thing is, we don't know if Rhino will actually show up and actually team with Heath. After this, we get a match between Chris Bay with El Phantasmo and Hikaleo in his corner, going against Chris Sabin with Finjuice in his corner. But that doesn't... But that happens, but Hikaleo and El Phantasmo are ejected from the match. So was Finjuice earlier in the match, so the referee can focus strictly on Chris Bay and Chris Saban. And Chris Sabin ends up winning the match by pinfall. This happened when Saban was able to catch uh, Bay in midair and hit him with an enziguri and then nail him with the cradle shock uh, and then pin him for the win. After this, we get a backstage interview with Trey Miguel. The main point of this interview is that he talks about beating Laredo Kid and Alex Zane to advance in the X Division tournament. And then as soon as he says Alex Zane's name, walks in Alex Zane. He mentions how he sees the hype train behind Trey Miguel, how Impact Wrestling is hyping him up to be the next best, whatever X Division wrestler, but he isn't satisfied with the experience that he had because Trey Miguel beat Laredo Kid, but not him. Trey then issues a challenge to Alex Zane, and Zane accepts. So next week on the final episode before Impact, before Bound for Glory, it will be Trey Miguel going against Alex Zane. After this, we get a video playing of the Good Brothers on vacation. The main point is, of this whole video is that they're upset that Impact Wrestling management declined their offer of Bullet Club going against fin Juice in a number one contenders match for the Impact Wrestling tag team titles. They're upset because they have no challenges for the titles at Bound of Glory since Bound of Glory is only a week away. They mentioned how they don't want to leave vacation, but they will leave vacation to come to Impact Wrestling and start handing out magic killers to anybody and everybody. They say they want to an- answer by management tonight before the night is over. So, management does end up making the match between Bullet Club, which is Chris Bay and Hikaleo, going against Fenjuice next week. And the winners will face the Go Brothers at Bound for Glory. Now it's time for the main event of the night. And it's the Battle Royal for the 20th entrance spot in the Call Your Shot Gauntlet at Bound for Glory. And the final two men in this uh, Battle Royal were W. Morrissey and Chris Saban. W. Mo- w. Morrissey ends up winning the match when he throws Chris Sabin out of the ring. And uh, w, Mor- w. Morrissey is the 20th entrance in this Bound for Glory, Call Your Shot uh, match, while Chris Saber will be the number one entrant. After this, we get a video package of Minoru Suzuki. And at the end of it, he says, coming soon to Impact Wrestling. So, New Japan is really opening up their uh, division more over into the American uh, audience. They're trying to make sure that America knows what Impact Wrestling, not Impact Wrestling, but New Japan is. They want to make sure that they constantly grow their following in North America, in the estates. Uh, make sure that New Japan has a presence all over the world. And they were supposed to do that before AEW was uh, built, so they had to f- reroute it and find another way. So now they're working with AEW, they're working with Impact Wrestling. And uh, now they are making sure that New Japan is basically front and center in the American uh, viewing audience Uh, peripheral vision. After this, now it's time for the championship summit between Josh Alexander and Christian Cage. The main point of this segment was to hype up the main event for Bound for Glory between these two men for the Impact Wrestling World Championship. Christian mentions how he has worked hard to get back in the ring since he had his career taken away from him seven years ago. Christian mentions how having this Impact Wrestling World Championship means the world to him, and that Josh is going to have a tough night it away from him at Bound for Glory. Josh talks about having to give up the X Division Championship for option C, and he makes sure that people understand that giving up that X Division title wasn't a easy decision for him to do, because having that X Division title vindicated him being a great singles wrestler, and not just a great tag team wrestler. So giving up the X Division title was a hard choice but he knows that giving up that championship is a bigger prize in the wake of it, meaning he wants to win the Impact Wrestling World Championship. Christian then mentions to Josh, uh, Josh Matthews, who is mediating this meeting between the two, that Josh Alexander needs to keep his emotions in check because he hasn't been in a high-pressure situation like this in the main event, while Christian, on the other hand, has been in this type of situation. And before the summit is over, between the two, Josh Matthews asks Christian about having following Josh Alexander's career because Josh has followed Christian's career and Christian has talked about he's followed Josh's career but Josh Matthews plays a video at AEW's uh, fan convention and it was a fan asking Christian who in AEW would you want to face out there? And Christian asks him okay he asked the fans okay who do you guys suggest that i should face and you get different wrestlers names somebody yells out edge somebody yells out another wrestler's name but somebody yells out josh alexander and christian says i don't know who that is and then it flashed back to current state right now the uh alexander matthews and christian in the ring and christian mentioned now this was just a little simple rib he didn't really mean that but josh alexander stops right there he says you know what I don't care about none of that. You've lost all my respect for you, and I can't wait to take the championship away from you at Bound for Glory, and he leaves and storms off. And Christian then looks at Josh Matthews with a smug look on his face and says, didn't I tell you about him needing to control his emotions? So Christian is playing mind games with Josh Alexander since this is his first time in the main event for the World Championship, and he's just trying to make Josh Alexander uh, nervous and on edge, and his plan is... Likely working, not likely, it is working. So what happens, we'll have to see more about this development on the next week's episode of Impact Wrestling to see if Christian finally actually gets Josh so upset that Josh actually puts hands on Christian before uh, their match at Bound for Glory that following Saturday. But all that will happen on next week's episode of Impact Wrestling. But in the end of this week's episode, you have Christian just with a smug face, knowing that he got the best of Josh Alexander in this, and that's how Impact Wrestling ends. Now on to SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with an in-ring promo from Edge. He says that this rivalry with Seth Rollins started seven years ago when Seth wanted to use Edge as a stepping stone. Remember, Seth did try to cripple Edge whenever Edge was uh, retired seven years ago, whenever Seth was with the authority in 2014. Edge then goes on to say how Seth took this thing from being... A professional rivalry to a personal rivalry whenever Seth came over to Edge's home and mentally pissed all over it. And Edge even says that, you know what? I can even find that play out of my rule book because whenever I did that to John Cena's his father and I went to his house and I slapped Cena's dad years ago. So Edge can see the parallels of what Seth did. And he admits that he underestimated Seth Rollins because they're a lot alike. And he even admits that Seth isn't Edgelight. He's his own man, and Seth is the closest person that, has, that he's faced that, matches his, that almost matches his intensity, his passion, and his obsession for professional wrestling. So Edge then says, you know what, maybe I should go to your house and terrorize your family, or I could have an encounter with Becky backstage just by chance because me and her have some history. And Edge means by this because whenever Becky had her little uh, beginning of her man character in 2018, late 2018, Edge was doing a cutting-edge promo well, segment in SmackDown, she was pretty uh, rude to Edge, so Edge still has a couple gripes with her on that point. But he says, I'm not going to do all that. He says that uh, he plans on ending this rivalry at Crown Jewel, Inside Hell in a Cell. Edge ends his promo by saying... So I know you're watching. I want you to lean in real close. I want you to listen closely because what I am about to say is a blueprint for your future. In Hell in a Cell, I am going to scar your soul. And that is a scar that you never, ever heal from. After this, now it's time for the semifinals of the King in the Ring tournament between Finn Balor and Sami Zayn. Finn Balor wins this match by pinfall. This happened when Finn hits a shotgun dropkick on Sami Zayn. And then follows it up with a coup de grace for pinfall. And Finn has now advanced to the finals of the tournament. So he'll be waiting to see who he will face at Crown Jewel on Monday Night Raw. Whenever uh, Jinder Mahal goes against Xavier Woods. And the winner of that match will go against Finn Balor at Crown Jewel. And I'm already saying now we're going to get Xavier Woods going against... Finn Balor at Crown Jewel, and my money is on Xavier Woods because he has been petitioning this on this for a good long time, and if he doesn't win this, it should all be burned to the ground. That's just my uh, professional opinion on it. Okay, after this, we get the commentary talking about the upcoming match between Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns at Crown Jewel for the Universal Championship. They even play a hype video of Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, basically the promo video for that match. And this whole focus of the video is showcasing Paul Heyman's relationship with Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns, basically saying that Paul Heyman is the key to whoever wins this match at Crown Jewel, and you will find out more about this whenever later on in the night, whenever the contract signing between Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns, of how important Paul truly is to this whole rivalry. After this, we get a match between Naomi and Sonya Deville. However, that was supposed to be the match we were going to get, but Naomi makes her Way to the ring, she does her own entrance. She's in the ring, waiting for Sonya Deville to come out. Sonya comes out, not dressed for in-ring competition. She's still wearing a black business suit, and she has a microphone, and she informs Naomi that it's not just going to be Naomi going against Sonya Deville, but it's going to be Naomi going against Sonya Deville and Shayna Baszler. So now Shayna has been added to this match, so she's basically Sonya's little bodyguard, and Sonya was an utter heal an utter douchebaggy person in this match. She slaps Naomi to start it off, and then she runs. And then whenever Shayna Baszler would get control of Naomi, Shayna would have to hold up Naomi and let Sonya Deville get some shots off in this gut of Naomi. But in the end, (sighs) Sonya and Shayna Baszler do win the match when Shayna Baszler puts Naomi in the Karafuda Clutch. And has her pass out, but drops her so Sonya Deville can put her foot on Naomi's chest, well her stomach, and uh, pin her. I didn't like this at all, personally, because I'm not understanding what they're trying to do here. Unless the end game is for Sonya Deville to be losing power and then Naomi gets her come comeuppance on this. That's the only way I see how this thing better ends, because if it doesn't end with that, I'm going to have a legit problem with that. After this, we get a video playing of Hit Row, and they're going to be coming to SmackDown soon. And again, the draft results, the draftings do not report to their rosters until next Friday, the day after Crown Jewel. I want to keep on reaffirming this. Now it's time for Seth Rollins' entering promo, and he gets basically to retort to what Edge said earlier in the night. Seth laughs at the fact that Edge was out here earlier trying to convince the people and himself that he was going to win a crown jewel inside Hell in a Cell. Seth is happy that Edge admitted that Seth is an Edge light. Seth talks about going to Hell in a Cell with a physical and mental advantage over Edge, basically because he beat Edge at Madison Square Garden and he... Took him out in a stretcher, so that's the physical side. When the mental side is, he's been playing mind games with Edge all this time. Even as stated by Edge earlier, he went inside Edge's home and basically pissed, verbally and mentally pissed all over the home. Seth makes it clear to everybody that he isn't afraid of facing Edge inside Hell in a cell. Seth, the Cell. Seth says that Edge is right, that they are two devils, but there's a difference. The major difference is Seth has spent more time inside that Cell than Edge. Seth talks about being scarred by the Hell in Cell, and I'm about to play that audio so you can hear how Seth really feels about Edge saying that he's going to scar Seth Rollins. I've been calloused by the Cell. I've been scarred by the Cell. Look at me! Look at me! I am the man I am today because of Hell in a Cell. You're right, Edge. This fairy tale does end as Crown Jewel, but just not the way you think. And I know this because I am the visionary. I am the revolutionary. I am Seth freaking Rollins. Now, I want to say one thing before I continue on with this uh, highlights from SmackDown. I'm upset. I'm upset at the idea that Crown Jewel, we have this match of Edge versus Seth Rollins at hell inside of Hell in a Cell. I wish they would have did that in the States where I know that Seth and Edge would at least have found a way to get some blood out of this. Because I don't think in Saudi Arabia you can kind of bleed on that programming. Because I don't think so. Again, their rules are completely different in America. I haven't seen nobody bleed on any of uh, their WWE's past um, pay-per-views or past events in the Saudi Arabia area. So... I just wish that they would have saved this match for inside the States where I know Seth and Edge would have kind of figured out a way how to get some blood out of this. Because this rivalry has to end with somebody bleeding. I know WWE has a strict no-blood policy. If you bleed, the referee has to get uh, gloves on their hands and try to wipe you down. But no, this is a rivalry that requires somebody to bleed. It's not meant for the faint. It's not meant for... The easy uh, person to get offended. No, this rivalry is meant for somebody to bleed. You have somebody like Seth saying that he's going to beat down Edge. He tried to take him out and cripple him. He went to the man's house and straight up just terrorized Edge's house. Made Edge get so afraid that he had to call up his wife. Something that's uncharacteristic of Edge. So, I would have loved if they would have just kept this match in America. But, they didn't do that and... I just want to see how they're going to try to do what they got to do inside Saudi Arabia, inside the on the cell, because if it's not to the standard why I think it should get brutal, brutal, because this rivalry requires brutality of that nature, I'm not going to be, I'm just not going to be satisfied. But again, we shall see. My mind might be completely different, and my, uh, my ideas might be completely changed if I see how they do it, and they do it well, but we shall see. Now back to the highlights of SmackDown. We now go to the gorilla position where Carmella is stretching because she's about to face Selena Vega in the semifinals of the Queen of the Crown Tournament. Selena walks up to her and compliments her, saying that she's glad to be facing her instead of Liv Morgan, and that these two are uh, complete gentlemen, not not gentlemen, but ladies, in that they're going to make a pact to not hit each other in the face, and Selena tells Carmella that she doesn't have to wear that face mask because... She's not going to try to break her face. So that's what made their pact uh, happen. They both agreed not to hit each other in the face. So now it's time for their match. And Carmella waves off her staff by telling her, you don't have to put the mask on me tonight. We have an agreement. And now it's time for the match to begin. Selena advances to the finals of the tournament. And this happens when Carmella happens to break the agreement that's both her and Selena have. And Carmella super kicks Selena in the face. And Selena happens to hold her face and holds her mouth. And Carmella's apologizing but has a smile on her face while she's apologizing but saying it's a force of habit. She got used to kicking people in the face. So Selena just doesn't even wait. She runs up and just jumps on Carmella and starts punching her in the face. This makes Carmella run out of the ring, go to her staff to put the mask on her face. She goes to the referee and tells them to hold on and calls a timeout, but the referee's still counting. And then when she goes back to her staff to get the mask on, Liv Morgan is there holding her mask, and Carmella's asking for her mask, but Liv does the whole, like, punching stance, like she's about to punch Carmella, and Carmella runs away from Liv, runs back into the ring, and this will never Selena gets the opportunity to roll up with a uh, small package on Carmella for the win. So Selena Vega has advanced to the finals of the Queen Crown Tournament, and she will face either Dewdrop or Shayna Baszler at Crown Jewel for the Queen Crown Tournament. Uh, Finals, and if it's me, I'm saying it's gonna be dewdrop because I feel that Naomi's gonna figure out a way to try to cost Shayna Baszler this match. But again, I yeah, that's me. Yeah, I'm calling it. It's gonna be dewdrop going against Shayna, uh, Selena Vega at Crown Jewel. That's just my personal opinion on that. Out of this, we get a happy talk segment with Happy Corbin and his guest Mad Cat Moss. This was under garbage. I'm not even going to to you, don't even look at this segment. This is garbage. The only thing that saved this segment, to be honest with you, is when Rick Boogs interrupted this thing and he played out Shinsuke Nakamura and they just had him and Shinsuke just walk around the ring and just jamming out to Shinsuke's theme. And you have Pat McAfee doing his thing. He gets on the announce table and he just starts jamming with it. Pat McAfee is the man. He... Is a great commentator, and I'm glad he's on SmackDown because that's one reason why that I personally enjoy SmackDown besides the whole Roman Reigns head of the table stuff. Pat McAfee is great. And now it's time for the Street Profits going against the Usos in a street fight for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. And the Usos win the match by pinfall and retain their SmackDown Tag Team Championships. This happens when the Usos were able to hit a double superkick on Angelo Dawkins and then hit a double Uso splash on Dawkins to win the match. This match had kendo sticks, steel chairs, and Montez Ford got slammed through a table by Jey Uso. This was match of the night for SmackDown. I mean, in my personal opinion... Because Sasha and Becky were next, and I mean, they had a good match. I'm not even going to crap on them, but me, I like whenever you see kendo stick street fights, and tables, and uh, steel chairs, in a street fight, or a no-holes-barred match. So, that's the reason why I give it the match of the night. But, second, and I mean close second, I mean, not even close second, but like close first, is literally Becky and Sasha, because they had a great match, and that happens next. But anyway, Becky went against Sasha. And Bianca Belair was on commentary for this match, and Sasha wins the match by pinfall. Again, Becky and Sasha had a great match, and I would suggest that you would go to this match because Rampage had a woman match, but they don't even come to... They're not there yet in that ability. Again, I say it all over and over again. AEW is building up a women's roster. They're building it up, and with another couple years, they're gonna have one of the greatest women roster because Tony Khan's able just to throw money at up and coming, uh, independent female wrestlers that's doing their thing on independence, and they're able to work with every other wrestling company out here, so they'll be able to just gank little females from here and there. But at this moment, WWE has the women wrestling game all locked in North America, so. Again, Sasha and Becky were the big thing, and I would suggest you watch their match if you want to watch women wrestling, because they did what they were supposed to do. But anyway, Sasha wins the match by pinfall. This happened when Sasha and Becky were going back and forth with each other, but Sasha was able to lock in the bank statement on Becky, but Becky was able to go underneath the ropes, and this was makes the referee break the submission because Becky's at the ropes. Becky's arm is touching the steel steps, and Bianca then goes over and tries to Hit uh, Becky's hair, Becky's arm with her hair whenever Bianca whips her ponytail at Becky's arm. But Becky was able to pull her arm back quick when she saw this before Bianca was able to get uh, able to hit her. This was retaliation for Becky hitting uh, Bianca earlier in the match by accident because she was trying to hit Sasha Banks, but she, Banks moved out of the way and Becky nailed Bianca. And even after the fact. Becky wasn't even apologizing for it. She just told Bianca, like, this is what you get. You shouldn't be in the way. So when that happens, Sasha was able to hit Becky with a backstabber and then pin Becky for the win. And Becky has now been defeated in a one-on-one competition. And it's been three years since she's actually been defeated in a one-on-one competition. So Sasha Banks was able to break that. And this this gives Sasha Banks more momentum going into their triple threat match at Crown Jewel. And also, it was informed to everybody on SmackDown that on Monday Night Raw, this upcoming Monday Night Raw, it will be Bianca Belair going against Charlotte Flair for the Raw Women's Championship. And that's interesting because, as I stated, Friday, this upcoming... Friday Night SmackDown will be the actual day that everybody will have to go to their assigned roster, and since Charlotte has been drafted over to SmackDown and Bianca has been drafted over to Raw, this gives the opportunity for Bianca to win the Raw Women's Championship and go into Crown Jewel as the Raw Women's Champion, going against both Becky and Sasha for the SmackDown Women's Championship, or this gives the opportunity for Charlotte to keep the Raw Women's Championship and go over to SmackDown, which will be which would be different. But that's another reason why I'm tuning into Raw this upcoming week to see exactly what happens with this. After this, now it's time for the main thing of the night: the entree. The contract signing between Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar. I added Paul Heyman in that because Paul Heyman played a key role in this. And the difference, in the thing with this little subtle difference here. Roman Reigns Stayed up in this contract signing. He didn't sit down in his chair at the head of the table like he did whenever he had a contract with Drew, whenever he had a contract with uh Finn, whenever he had a contract with uh Kevin Owens. I believe he had a contract signing with that one, too. I believe. But all the contract signings that Roman had, he always sat at the head of the table. But this time, he stood there because he knew how important and how dangerous Brock was. And once Brock is in the ring, he doesn't even... Paying no attention, he just sits at sits at the table, he puts his feet up on the table, and he just looks nonchalant. Roman has Paul look over the contract, and Paul gives Roman the okay to sign the contract, and had told him that everything has been uh, read and put into places like Roman acts, so Roman signs it, and then he gives the contract over to Brock. Brock doesn't even look at the contract and try to read it, he just signs the contract, and Roman has a smug look on his face. And Roman decides to say this to Brock Lesnar You must be some kind of a dumbass, a big dumb farmer, huh? You just sign it without even reading it. What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> Roman, I already read the damn contract this morning with my advocate Paul Heyman. When Brock said that line, I said, Man, Brock is cold as ice. That was the ultimate mic drop experience, right there, Roman is now really on his toes now, because now he doesn't know if Paul is really, really standing beside him. Roman has always had his doubts whenever Brock came back at SummerSlam two months ago, but now this is really reaffirming it, because now Roman is closer to destiny. His date to going against Brock is really close within another week. He's really going against, well, within another couple of days, he's going against Brock at Crown Jewel. So now he's trying to figure out, can you really trust Paul? Has Paul been playing him all this time? So this is really going to add into the paranoia of the head of the table. And Brock is just sitting there looking all nonchalant. He's just feeling all cool as a cucumber. My guy's just really out here playing big mind games with uh, Roman Reigns. And whether he's telling the truth or not, it worked out. Effectively, so we're gonna see a Roman Reigns off his game at Crown Jewel. We're not gonna see a dominant Roman Reigns. I'm already saying that now he's gonna be dominant, but he's not gonna be as dominant as we've seen him in this whole past year of going against every and any any and everybody. But this one, Brock had to go at it a different way. Usually, when you look at the power dynamic between Brock and Roman in the past years. Roman was always the dog trying to go after Brock and trying to always try to go after him and beat him up and everything else. But this time, nah, Brock has to do the chasing. Brock has to be the one going after this big mythical type being. And Brock doesn't go after him physically. No, 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 no. He goes after him mentally. He's playing with him mind games because he knows that Brock, he knows that Roman is a type of human that will just take a beating and keep coming back and forth. But once you go at him mentally, that is what's really going to cripple him in this new character that he has the uh, head of the table. So Brock has done this masterfully. And Paul is just standing there with holding the championship as Roman just looks at him. And he has a scary look on his face. And Paul's playing this at the point, whether he's telling the truth or not, he's worried if Roman's going to tear his head off. So we'll have to see by Crown Jewel. I'm calling it now. I think that Roman is still going to win this, either with the Usos help or by some type of way. I don't see him dropping the belt to Brock Lesnar at Crown Jewel. If he does, I'm going to be shocked by this. I really am. Because the coal headed the table whole deal has been working for a good solid year and a couple months. And for them to drop it to Brock Lesnar, who doesn't need it, This is going to be frustrating again, but I don't think WWE is that stupid. I don't think they're going to be that foul to kill the head of the table gimmick like that, but only time will tell, but that is how SmackDown ends. Now it's time for AEW Rampage, the buy-in. Now I say the buy-in because AEW Rampage was supposed to start at 10 o'clock and it did, but they had a pre-show at um 9 o'clock. And the pre-show started with Ty Conti with Anna Jay in her corner going against Santana Garrett. Ty Conti wins the match by pinfall. This happens when Ty hits Santana with four pump kicks, or basically, as you guys might know it, the bicycle kicks or the bro kicks. One time catching Santana running off the ropes, and three times she hits it to Santana in the corner, and then finish her off with a DDT or DDT for the win. After this, we have a match between Lee Moriarty going against Bobby Fish, and Bobby Fish wins the match by pinfall. This happens when Bobby was able to hit an exploder suplex on Lee to the ropes and then finish him off with a roundhouse kick to the head of Lee. This match was basically to let the world know who Lee Moriarty is as a wrestler and basically just to give Moriarty some type of limelight to exactly who he is and let the whole entire professional world know who he is, and he's also the newest signing of AEW. And the funniest thing about this signing, and also Bobby Fish signing, is because they both were signed, quote-unquote, by MLW, but, yeah, things changed, so I'm not sure if they're with, technically, both still with MLW, and they have a contract with both MLW and AEW, or Tony Con just bought both of their contracts out, and they're now just with AEW, but I can't say for a fact, Bobby Fish and Lee Moriarty are both with AEW, and they were with MLW at the beginning. So, this is just a real interesting concept. Anyway, after this match, we had the main event of the buy-in, and it was Brian Danielson going against Minoru Suzuki. Brian Danielson wins this match by pinfall, and this happened when Brian Danielson and Minoru Suzuki were countering each other maneuvers and laying each other out with strikes, and I mean some hard strikes. But Brian Danielson in the end was able to catch Suzuki with a running knee to the face for the win. And as I stated before, this was a hard hitting match. I mean, this was just a straight up slug fest between each other. You had Minoru Suzuki just slapping Brian Danielson and Danielson just kicking the chest of Suzuki. And then you have Suzuki laying Brian out with a forearm to the neck. I mean, this is the closest match you're going to get to a, a New Japan strong style match in AEW, or just in America with with actual named competitors that the rest of the world technically will know. Wrestling world, people know who Brian Danielson because he was with WWE, and the people in AEW, Impact Wrestling, and the rest of the world know exactly who Minoru Suzuki is because he has a uh, reputation for being a strong guy because he was in MMA, but he's also a ruthless guy. So he has that notoriety, so this match was able to give him, if anything, more credibility with the American fans than it did for Brian Danielson on the flip side. But to me, this match was the closest that it resembles to a New Japan Strong Style match, but it resembles back to me with a New Japan... What a New Japan Style match is, the closest match that I can resemble this to is whenever uh, Sami Zayn had... Shinsuke Nakamura and his American WWE NXT debut match at NXT TakeOver Dallas, and that was in 2016. If you haven't seen it, go watch Peacock, and you'll see that match, and you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. Those two were hitting each other straight up hard, and they were just delivering hard hits to one another, and it reminds me of this match, but the difference is, Brian and Minoru Suzuki... Those were just laden in with hits, hits, and hits. And I'm not saying uh, Nakamura and Zane didn't in 2016, but this match was just a more hard-hitting match. But again, I would suggest you go back and go to YouTube and watch the buy-in. If you don't want to watch anything else, watch the buy-in, the main event of Brian, Brian Danielson versus Minoru Suzuki. You won't be disappointed. If anything, you'll just be saying, by God, they hit each other so hard. Jesus, that's what you're going to come out saying out of this. Now it's time for AEW Rampage. And the first match of the night was CM Punk going against Matt Seidel, and CM Punk wins the match by pinfall. This happens when CM Punk was able to hit the GTS on Seidel to win the match. It was a solid match to open up Rampage commercial-free because they were competing with SmackDown, who went 30 minutes over their allotted time slot. SmackDown went over 30 minutes because it was supposed to be 8 to 10, but then they went over... 30 minutes, and Fox was cool with this, and it was on FS1, so uh, Rampage just competed with it, and they had their first match, commercial free, which was CM Punk and Matt Seidel, straight solid match, it was a good match for uh, Punk, and a good match for Seidel, and after the match, they shook each other's hands, and they hugged each other, like I said, a great solid match, after this, we had a backstage segment from the Dark Order, they're happy that Adam Page is back in AEW. And he's the number one contender for the AEW World Championship after winning the casino ladder match last week on AEW Dynamite. They mentioned how they know the Super Click are going to try to interfere in the AEW World Championship match whenever it happens. So the Dark Order issues the Super Click a challenge to a match. And we'll have to see probably later on tonight when you actually hear this thing. Because I keep on remembering to have to tell you. Today, Saturday... Will be the night that AEW Dynamite will be airing on TNT since they didn't air on Wednesday and they will be doing it again next Saturday as well. I just want to keep you guys in the loop. So that's the reason why you won't be hearing what happened on the Dynamite results until tomorrow on my Sunday episode. And I'll try to sneak that in on the episode. Matter of fact, I'll probably do it like in the middle of the episode, or probably at the end of the episode, just so I can give you guys the results of that. After this, we get Ruby Soho going against the Bunny, and Ruby wins the match by pinfall. This happened when Ruby was able to counter the the down-the-rabbit hole and turn it into a backslide pinfall for a win. After the match, Ruby was attacked from behind by Penelope Ford, and then the Bunny holds up Ruby Soho, so Penelope can get the brass knuckles out of her jacket and hit Ruby in the face and lay her out. Now it's time for the main event of Rampage. is the inner circle, which consists of The TNT champion Sammy Guevara, Chris Jericho, and Jake Hager going against Junior Dos Santos and the Men of the Year, which are Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky. And in their corner is Jorge Masvidal and Dan Lambert. Junior Dos Santos and the Men of the Year win the match by pinfall. This has when Jericho has Scorpio in the walls of Jericho, but Paige Van Zandt comes out of the crowd and gets on the ring apron to distract the referee. And, it ha- and this does happen. The referee gets distracted by Paige and tells her to get off the ring apron. And when this happened, Junior, uh, not Junior, but Jorge Masvidal gets in the ring and hits Jericho with a running knee like he did weeks ago. And this makes Jericho let go of the walls of Jericho. And now Scorpio Sky goes over and covers Jericho for the win. The referee turns around, sees it. Cover Jericho, uh, counts it, so Scorpio and Ethan Page and Julio Dos Santos do win the match. After the match, uh, the rest of America Top Team comes out of the crowd and jumps the ring and attacks Jericho until Santana and Ortiz come out and make the save and run off America Top Team, and they do battle with the men of the year a little bit, but they were able to get the best of them as well. I'm trying to figure this out. If anybody can it just answer this for me. Why does it take an AEW? Why does it take for so long for members of a certain team or a certain stable to come out to save their uh, stablemates? They did that whenever Sammy was getting his butt beat up by uh, the men of the year in America Top Team. It took Jericho and Hager a good minute. They had Fuego Del Sol come out, which, I mean, yeah, cool, that's Sammy's friend. We established that, but we knew he couldn't do nothing against America Top Team in the men of the year, so it took... Fuego to get his butt beat. Then you get a couple minutes later. Then you get them to come out, the uh, Jericho and Hager to come out to make the save. And now the same thing with this: Jericho gets his butt beat up. Hager is out because he put Julio Santos through a table earlier in the match, and Sami's out because he got his butt beat up. So now you got Jericho getting his butt beat by American Top Team and Men of the Year, and you don't see Santino Ortiz until like. Three, minute, three or two minutes later, and it took a good while. I don't understand it. It just reminds me of how WWE does it way different because WWE, they don't play around. Their boys get beat up. Yo, somebody either runs down there within the next, what, 20 seconds and try to make the save, or they don't show up, and then we have to figure out until the next episode of that specific programming, and we get told why they, didn't, they weren't there to make the save. So, that's exactly what they should have did here. If They should... AEW. This is me, Gerald, talking to you. If you happen to hear this, hello. If you guys are doing a segment like this where a person in a certain stable is getting beat up and you need people to run out there, give it a good 10 to 20 seconds and then run themselves right in there. Don't wait a minute or two because you're just basically giving somebody free... Free money and free time just to beat up on your stable guy. That makes it no bit of sense. So that's just my free advice for you. Just please make the runnings faster unless you're going to make it to a point that, hey, yo, somebody's going to have to go through a table. Somebody's going to get beat down with chairs more or something like that. That's the only way I see you guys holding off on somebody from making the save. But if you don't, it's just going to be somebody putting their boots on somebody and just like beating them up with hands. Yeah, give him a good 20 seconds and then let the stablemates run out there to save him. That's just my free advice to you. And with that, that's the end of AEW Rampage with the Inner Circle all standing there as a big collective family after Jericho got his butt beat. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I'm going to give you my uh, predictions for Crown Jewel. As I said before, I think Roman Reigns is going to beat Brock Lesnar to retain the Universal Championship. The triple threat match for the SmackDown Women's Championship between Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, and Sasha Banks. I think Sasha's going to win this because she is on the SmackDown roster while Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair at the Crown Jewel will be on Raw. And I don't see them uh, keeping that SmackDown title on uh, on Raw unless Charlotte retains her championship against Bianca this Monday on Monday Night Raw, but we'll have to see about that. But my... Uh, thing still stands. I see Sasha retain. Well, not retaining, winning the SmackDown Women's Championship. Uh, we have RK Bro defending their Raw Women's Championship, defending their Raw Tag Team titles against AJ Styles and Omos. I think RK Bro is going to continue this because RK Bro is still a new team and they have a lot of entertainment value to them. So keep them with the belts. Biggie versus Drew McIntyre for WWE Championship. Biggie, simple, easy. I don't think I should have to go and explain into this. Because Drew McIntyre is going over to SmackDown. And his focus is going to be on Roman Reigns and the Universal title. Simple and easy. My biggest question is, who's Big E got to face after this? Because he's already beaten Bobby Lashley. And I don't think we're going to try to run that back. In my personal opinion, I think we should try to throw it up to Big Keith Lee. Uh, Keith Bearcat Lee. And people might say, oh my god, it's too soon. Nope. I say do it now. Um, After this, we get... Goldberg going against Bobby Lashley. I think we're going to give, personally, I think that we should give Bobby Lashley this because Goldberg should be out. This should be. This will cover his time in WWE, at least for this year. So, don't let Goldberg get the win on this. Have Bobby beat him in this no-holds-barred match. That's my opinion on this. King of the Ring tournament finals. Finn Balor going against either Jinder Mahal or Xavier Woods. My personal opinion will be Xavier Woods. So, it'll be Finn versus Xavier. Either way... Finn Balor is not winning. Uh, Xavier Woods is winning the King of the Ring tournament, in my opinion, on that. Selena Vega going against either Shayna Baszler or Drop for the Queen's Crown Tournament Uh, finals. I Either way, I don't care if it's Shayna Baszler or Drop. Selena Vega needs to win this because that's what needs to happen. So, I say Selena Vega. Edge versus Seth Rollins in hell in a cell. I say, if we're going to do it right... Uh, we have... You know what? This is a toss-up for me, because I want to say Edge, but my personal heart wants to go with Seth, because Seth kind of needs to regain it after that whole horrific Hell in a Cell match that he had with Bray Wyatt in 2019. So, in my personal, and I mean personal opinion, I believe that, uh Seth Rollins should win this. Seth Rollins should win it and have him go against Big E next, because... That at least I would give that because Biggie needs somebody to go against it. Why not have it be Seth? Shouldn't be Edge yet if we're gonna do that. It shouldn't be Edge yet because Edge and Biggie, I don't, I don't see that gelling so quick yet. But a guy like Biggie having the history that he did with Seth, and they can even play back to whenever Seth lost the NXT title to Biggie in twenty what, to late twenty twelve. You can go and do that. So I would. not I will have Seth win this. Since they're both going over to Raw. And Biggie needs somebody to face anyway. Seth is my guy. Uh, Mansour versus Mustafa, Mustafa Ali. Mansour is winning this. Because Mansour hasn't lost. Over on any of the Crown. Or uh, over at any of the Saudi Arabia shows. So Mansour is definitely winning this. And that's just my predictions for it. For the Crown Jewel pay-per-view. Which will happen uh, this Thursday. And with that. That is all for Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And let me give you my social media links before I get you guys out of here. On Twitter, you can find me at, at my 2 podcast on Instagram. You can find me at my 2 2 on uh, my email. where You can email me if you are feeling sad, depressed, you are feeling happy, angry, any type of emotion that you feel that you just want to get off your chest and unload because you don't know who you can talk to. I am here. I am a stranger. You don't know me from dust to dirt from Adam to Eve from the sky to the stars you don't know me but that makes it great because I am a guy that doesn't judge anybody and personally I'm just a guy that's here just trying to help people out so if you feel that you don't know who you want to talk to you don't uh, feel that you can trust anybody Not I even say trust do you want to own un- that you don't want to burden with your problems hey I'm here you could do that with me I'm just a guy so hey That's personally cool with me. My email is my2centspod at yahoo.com. Again, it's my2centspod at yahoo.com. I'm going to spell it out. M-Y, the actual number 2, not T-W-O or T-O-O. Put the actual number 2. C-E-N-T-S-P-O-D at yahoo.com. And um, that's all my social media links. Also, you can find me on this app called Wisdom. Yes, Wisdom, W-I-S-D-O-M, the icon for this uh, app on Apple is a uh, Albert Einstein looking uh, photo with white headphones on his head. And this is basically an app where you, is a mini TED Talk. People get on there and talk about a certain topic that they want to talk about and they take questions from people or they just let people talk on this uh, platform. So I'm on there you can listen to my... Talks that I've had on there and my name that you can find me at is Gerald Garrett. And uh, yeah, that's all the social media links I got for you guys. I hope you have a great Saturday and and uh, I hope you listen to my Sunday episode where I talk about things in the news and uh, things that I personally find interesting. But if not, you'll find me again next uh, Saturday for Wrestling Highlights of the Week. This has been Gerald Garrett G2. This is a goodbye. This is until you hear from the sweet sounding voice again. And Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Well.